If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to check out the Spark subscription, which is opening enrollment very soon for the next monthly Spark. You can check out all of the details at iExplorScience slash Spark, but here's the gist. We know that the best learning happens when your students are engaged, and that learning doesn't look the same for every student. So our curriculum shouldn't look the same for every student. But how do you balance meeting the needs of all of your students and really giving them a personalized learning journey and moving away from that one-size-fits-all curriculum with not totally burning yourself out in the process. That's what the Spark subscription is about. It provides you with the tools and the learning to create truly student-driven storylines so that you can go beyond creating the illusion of student-driven and student ownership and truly embrace a classroom where your students are driving the bus and moving their learning forward and doing more work than you. Again, you can check out the Spark subscription at iExploreScience.com spark. All right, into the episode we go. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science here, and I'm here with Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And we are talking about um, here on the Teaching Science 3D podcast, basically how we can, um, or what are some activities that are accessible to all students, no matter what background knowledge or science knowledge they have about, uh, really about a topic. So, you know, we started this season diving into why we are not building background knowledge before we start our units, why we want to just dive right into that phenomena. And then um, I shared last week about how I start my units and, and okay, so now what, like, right, we have our, we dove into the phenomena, we have some questions, I know what my students' prior knowledge is, I kind of know where they are, Um, what can I do now, and what do I do if my students are missing a lot of what I would, again, consider background knowledge, and what do, or what do I do if I have, like, students with varying levels, you know, that are all investigating this phenomenon, at with, with, again, varying levels of, of prior knowledge. So we're going to look at some of those activities that work for everybody. <laughs> right. And also like 
we know that students are not necessarily at the same level with their math and ELA, you know, so what are things that they can do even if their their reading skills are lacking or, you know, that they don't necessarily know how to interpret data in the same way and stuff like that. So how, yeah. how we can really meet our students where they are if they're behind. Right. And it's not even just like, yeah, that's so true. It's not even just behind in maybe science knowledge, but behind in some of those other skills that are maybe not the focus of our classroom, but you know. Yeah. Okay. So what, um, what are some things that you, like, where would you start maybe? Um, okay. I have been loving card sorts. Um, I am going into a lot of classrooms and they are so easy to put together. Like, um, like I can put a card sort together in 10 minutes, print it and, you know, cut out all the things or even better, like give the kids a pair of scissors and have them cut them out. And yeah. it's like super low prep and it's totally accessible. Anybody can jump in and start sort cards into piles. And mm-hmm. I just start out by saying like, you're going to sort them into piles based on similarities and differences. And I don't tell them how many piles or, you know, anything beyond we're looking for similarities and differences and it gets them talking. Um, and I don't have to keep them quiet, you know, like, and they're having academic discussions and it's just incredibly easy. It's like one of the easiest things I think you can do in the classroom. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like when I was in, um, when I was like teaching high school, so I would not even, I wouldn't even say similar. I just feel like sort these cards. And sometimes they'd look at me like, how? And I'd be like, I don't know, like figure it out. Yeah. And they would come up with really, I mean, typically, you know, the cards you've selected gears them towards some sort of topic or yeah. another, but it makes for really good discussions. Like, I mean, one of my favorites is always um, ecology topics, looking at like living and non-living and, and then there's like the weird thing or biotic and abiotic, you know, like there's the weird things that are like, not, they're not weird, but um, this was living, but now it's not living, but cause it's dead, but like, it's also not non-living cause it was once living. And it just gets into, like you said, really good academic conversations um, so I really, I also like card sorts. What are some topics that you like to do card sorts for, or like the kind of, I feel like anything to do with categoriz- categorization. Yeah. Really uh, well. Also, so like we, I did one recently on, um, like the different spheres, you know, so introducing the kids needed that background knowledge in order to get into something else. So rather than like lecturing on the four spheres, you know, just like yeah. giving them those, um, I did one on living and non-living, which was great because um, I see, I don't know, because it's a start of the year, I think I'm seeing a lot of teachers like um, lecturing on the characteristics of living things and, you know, just like start there and then spend five minutes, like giving them, you know, the list that scientists have. And that's, you know, way more engaging um, really anything like you can do motion, you can do like anything that you can think of and you can Google pictures. And, um, I just throw them like on a Google slide deck and then print like multiple slides per page. And it's so easy. (laughs) Well, and one of the things I really like about card sorts too, it's not necessarily like a science and engineering practice, but it is discovery because instead of you telling your students, like, this is the idea, they can use the examples that you've given them to figure out the idea. Um, and I, I, 
so like with the living, non-living or with earth spheres or um, characteristics of life, you know, by sorting things into living and non-living, they're talking about, well, what does it mean to be alive? And you, they can figure out a lot of those characteristics of life just through those conversations and by looking at different examples. Um, I know I've also done it with like hierarchy in ecosystems oh, yeah. and things like that, like organize, you know, like um, individual and population and community and, and so on. And looking at how those, those things fit in together and relate to each other within that system. Um, but you have that element of exploration and discovery in that, and it doesn't require a complicated skill, but you're also in integrating looking at patterns and or looking for patterns, um, interactions and ecosystems. I have a, like a card sort that I do with that. And it's not just a picture. It's usually text and a picture or my resources, text and a picture, but it just describes the interaction and it doesn't label. It doesn't give any vocabulary. It's literally like the lion eats the zebra. (laughs) Um, so it's not even complicated text. Um, but they can look at those interactions and kind of figure out how are these interactions similar and different, like you said, and therefore figure out the categories before you ever give them that vocabulary or before you ever do any sort of lecture. Um, And just by by looking at examples, they can kind of figure out so much. Yeah. I, you, that activity that you have is one of my favorite activities. I like, I don't know if you've seen me like buy your stuff over and over again, but it's like, if I'm going into somebody's classroom, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this for you. And then I buy it and I like, you know, give it <laughs> to the teacher. Like, yeah, that's hilarious. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't yeah. ever look I'm I'm like that. I'm going to do it this week. So if you see my name pop up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. Um, it's also, so it's also a really good way to introduce systems and system models. So you can really look at any type of levels of organization, or you can look at like inputs and outputs or anything like that. Um, so we don't always need to bring in a science and engineering practice, but we can totally use a card sort to build, you know, understanding of a cross-cutting concept too. That's a good idea. Yeah, I do have like a photosynthesis activity where it's like the it gives little discoveries about like photosynthesis that people have discovered, and basically you can sort them into inputs and outputs. That was mm-hmm. really high school level, but. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. I forgot about how you can use it for inputs and outputs and things like that too. Yeah. Yeah. So cards are just a really fun, easy activity. Um, and it's something that it's like, you know, you had mentioned, um, earlier in the season about kids just want to like talk to each other right now. It it gives them that opportunity Mm -hmm. to talk to each other, but they're talking about science stuff. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I forgot. There was another one. Um, a teacher was lecturing on the difference between, um, an inference and an observation. And so I was telling her like, you know, next time, why don't we, you know, give them some examples and let them sort them before we even tell them what it is. And yeah, just way easier. Yeah. yeah. So much stuff. Yeah. You know what? Um, well, so I wasn't planning to talk about this so soon, but I've even done card sorts with claim evidence and reasoning. So let's like dive into that, I guess, too. So that's one of the ways I start building kids up to, to, to really um, write their own, make their own claims and provide their own evidence and support the reasoning and all of that. One of the like earlier things I do is just identifying claims versus evidence or claims versus evidence versus reasoning. And it's just, again, giving those them those examples. And you can, you can make the examples yourself. You can also just very easily find, like pull a, a, um, you know, science news for students type of article or something that summarizes a, scientific discovery in related to something you're reading, you know, and just have students like go through and identify like, what are the claims that they're making? Or maybe you've highlighted certain 
points of it and you're asking them to kind of sort, is this a claim? Is this evidence? Um, so that kind of combines what we were going to say about scaffolding and getting into right. CER, but yeah. also card sorts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of these, like once you start seeing how to make them, it's like, it becomes a really easy thing that you can pull in. It's in so many different places. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, I guess, since we kind of, I brought the CER thing up, um, what do what are some other things that you do with CER? And like, why would you say that's accessible? Cause I feel like a lot of teachers might be like, oh my gosh, that's reading, that's writing. My students are, that's not something that's accessible to all of my students, but like, how could it be accessible? Um, so like you just said, just identifying a claim and evidence. And then also I, when I start, I don't even call it evidence. I just say like, what do we see? What do we notice? What do we, you know, like, like I, you know, I don't even say observations, like, like what's happening here. And then, I mean, anybody can kind of, you know, discuss what's happening, you know, like we sometimes we'll do that with um, graphs or something like that. Um, It can be like, not even like with graphs, it doesn't even have to be interpreting what they see. It could be literally like the line is moving up. Right. (laughs) This point is higher than that point. Like it doesn't have to be, even true, like fully understanding what's on the graph initially. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think sometimes we are too quick to bail our students out, especially with graphs. And we're like explaining what it means. And the kids can, at least if you say, you know, like, what are you seeing here? That's an entry point to where they're at least looking at it. Cause if you just explain it, they're just going to gloss over and not pay attention. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they start to notice those things and then you can scaffold them up through through your questioning and the things that you point out that you notice and stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, CER can definitely be obviously it can have its written, it's you know, written and reading portion, but it can also be in a discussion, like what claims were just made. You know, a student said something, what claims have they made? Like what was the claim there? Or like do they provide any like reasons or evidence or, you know, whatever, whether you're using the word evidence or not. Right. Um, you can have those, those initial discussions about those kind of components of an argument or an explanation. Right. Right. And, and I, I don't talk about reasoning for a little while. If my students are new to that, like with my eighth grade students, they've heard that it's, you know, we can jump in right away, but with my seventh graders, they probably never heard any of that stuff before. So we just focus on claims and evidence and um, that alleviates some of that, you know, where they don't really understand the difference between evidence and reasoning. Um, If you just focus on those two pieces first. Yeah. And then like work your way up to that for sure. Yeah. That also kind of gets us into, I'm just, because we, you know, we're having a discussion, a student says something and it's a claim we can help our students um, ask questions from what other students are saying. And sometimes the question might be like, well, what evidence do you have to support that? Or, you know, you said this um, about this piece of evidence, you know, here's a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because really asking questions is something that our students can do, like all students can do. And I know it's, and I know it's hard, it's sometimes hard to get them to ask questions. Um, Honestly, I think most of the, challenge there is an unwillingness to either because of classroom culture or like what they've been ingrained with like you know that I don't want to yeah look dumb or questions are 
Um, but also to like, just that it takes time to, to really pause to come up with a question. And so that is something that again, a teacher can easily make time for is we're going to ask questions right now. So like, let's pause and think of a question. And sometimes just in that, those pause moments, um, our students have more questions than maybe they realize or we realize. And you can also um, scaffold that by providing them with sentence starters. So I have a couple of like generic ones for discussion. Like, can you elaborate about something? And like, what do you mean by this? You know, things like that. Like just really generic um, ways to show them how they can ask questions about something. Because I don't think that they always know, especially when they're talking to a peer, like they, they sometimes take what their peers say, like for, you know, like at face value, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, and they don't question it at all. So it can help to have some sentence starters and stuff like that. For, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, a lot of times students have trouble talking to each other because in most classes they have, it's always been like the teacher asking the questions and the students giving the answers. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe a student presenting, but there's not always, I don't know, in every classroom, there has not always been this emphasis on the kids actually talking to each other right. about their ideas. So those kind of sentence starters can help them, again, focus on, I'm not responding to the teacher. I'm not asking the teacher. I'm asking a fellow student. I'm talking to a fellow student. Right. Something all students can, can do. I think also with regard to asking questions, um, like doing a notice and wonder, um, so that, that also kind of ties in that evidence piece and the questioning piece. Um, but you can do that often. I think we usually associate that with like a phenomenon or something like you introduce a phenomenon and then you ask students what they notice and wonder, but you can do that at any point, like, um, okay. during a demo, you can do that during, um, like when they're looking at graphs or something like that, like, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Yeah, I feel like I do that at the beginning of kind of everything because yeah. I'm like, before we get into any sort of explanation here or any sort of, I, I, it, it's an opportunity just for them to get invested in whatever you're about to do, you know? Yeah. So I mean, we've been doing it. So I'm working on the spark for um, the next month, which is going to be about like the earth sun moon system and earth, um, the tides as like the phenomenon and high tide flooding and things like that. And I literally am introducing this one activity by sharing a, like a myth, like a folk tale kind of thing about the tides. And I'm literally having students just look at, like, like read this like short, short little paragraph about the moon and it being eaten by a, a, a wolf or whatever. Uh -huh. <laughs> and like, what do you notice about this like myth? What do you wonder about it? Uh -huh. and, and it's, it's like a silly thing, but it's like a chance for them to think about like, what is this really telling us? Right. And what, am I, what do I think about that? And what do I wonder about that? Right. Yeah. Segways into the phase of the moon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then also once they've noticed some stuff, then they can create some preliminary models, you know, like they can start trying to develop some sort of explanation for what they think is happening and their model can be incredibly simple and just, you know, like a simple drawing of what they think is happening. Yeah, that is a really good way. And I mean, I, I talked about, you know, modeling is I like to start anytime I'm introducing a phenomenon, I like to kind of access that prior knowledge through some sort of modeling. So it's not just because because you don't want just when you're starting a unit, your students to just tell you a bunch of facts, right? you know, that doesn't because 
okay, they remember this random trivia, but do they really understand what any of those things mean? Um, when you're, when they're really developing a model, a preliminary model about a phenomenon, you can see what they really understand about those concepts. Do they understand how they apply? Do they understand how they interact? And for some students, it might be totally wrong. For some students, it might be on the right track. It might be simple. Like you said, it might be, it could be more complex if they have a more sophisticated understanding or maybe are just more experienced with modeling. But pretty much all students can like come up with some kind of explanation. And with preliminary modeling, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's literally just, what do you think right now based on what you what you know and what you've experienced? And, you know, and some topics work better than others, but right. that is definitely something that is pretty accessible for, for most topics. Definitely. And then you can also have them compare their preliminary models and see, there's usually like three or four different explanations and you can talk about like what evidence there is to support one of the models over another or sometimes when you when you kind of push them you, you can get them to like eliminate one explanation or something like that in the beginning oh and i love to have students go back to their models mm-hmm. and, and correct them or revise them right. or or even support like if they had an idea and it was accurate but they like didn't have the evidence for it right okay so now they might not be revised well they're revising their model in the sense that they're adding to it they're supporting it with right specific evidence that they have accumulated, you know, throughout the unit. So that's something that, again, doesn't matter what they start with, but as you move through the unit, your students can be improving and moving them, you know, you're moving them forward. Yeah. 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 And I mean, just think about how much more accessible and how much less intimidating a classroom like this is than, you know, you have to memorize all of these things and you have a, you have a quiz on this on Friday. Right. Yeah. Because these are things that like literally all students can can take part in. And, you know, you might again, you might not have every single student take jump at every single activity, but you are definitely hitting, you know, maybe the ones that are not into talking to their peers might not be into asking questions, but they might be really good at cards. So if you like intermingle them all, you can get all of your students regardless of their math or language or, um, or science knowledge to, to have a, um, like a foothold or some way to participate and engage. Yeah. And I like English language learners. This is super accessible. Um, your students with IEPs, anybody can do this. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the teaching science and 3d podcast. Um, as always, please leave us a review if you are enjoying this this podcast and let us know. Let us also know what questions you have and what topics you'd like to um, see us cover in you know, future weeks. You can message us. Erin has a form that you can submit online if you want to do that. Um, but whatever, you know, however you can communicate that to us, we're good with. Just let us know what kind of questions you have and you'd, that you'd like to see on this podcast. Yeah. So you can go to teachingscience.com slash, or sorry, teachingscienceand3d.com slash questions and you can submit your questions there but if you want to submit an audio file you can do it there's like a really easy form and you can just record an audio file on your phone and upload it there perfect all right thanks guys for tuning in and we'll catch you next week bye making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. 
It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.